All right, good morning. Book of Ephesians. Hop over to Ephesians. We uh, will continue going through the book of Ephesians as we, we have already up to this point. And we'll be in Ephesians chapter three. This is a part two. Um, so none of it will make sense if you miss part one. No, it'll make sense. Uh, but you can go back and listen to part one. Basically, what we're trying to talk about with these last two parts is how to build a community uh, after Christ's uh, own model, or after what's, what is Christ's intention with building community. And it uh, turns out communities built on both grace and trust are what, uh, what we're striving to have. But most people, actually, if you ask most seekers, people seeking truth in the world, if you ask them if they found, if they found churches to be a safe space, most say no. And so there is, I think, something there about uh, why isn't uh, or why are, why are not most seekers feeling safe when they go to church? And something we can look at, probably not something that's a new thing, but something that probably uh, I think is inherent in all of us as human beings. So we're going to continue within this because as a church, we're going through spiritual growth and spiritual growth does not happen in isolation. A church father once said a highly controversial saying that I agree with, but I think people won't like. But there is no salvation outside the church. Uh, Origen said that. Uh, a lot of people don't like that. But what Origen meant is that we cannot really become who Christ called us to be outside of community. Yeah. We cannot do it alone. As much as we might like to, as much as our world says, just find out what your own truth is, follow it on your own, find it on your own, be on your own. Um, even as much as we like to believe that, it doesn't apply to anything else. If you tried that with anything else, you'd find it to be uh, a failure. If you're like, man, I know that I'm smart, but if the whole world thinks you're dumb, I think that'll have an impact on you. We are, uh, emo- our emotion centers, our, our, people are, uh, our emotions are an open loop, which means that if I walk into a, a group of you guys and you guys are all thinking I'm stupid, there's no way for me to walk out of here thinking I'm smart. Uh, it just doesn't, we're, humans don't work that way. It's the same reason why if you hear a piece of beautiful music, what's the first thing you want to do after you hear it? is play it for somebody else. And then when you, when you play it for somebody else and they experience it, you can actually experience it more fully. Because in community, we actually experience things in a deeper way. And we all deeply crave community. We do. Uh, Harvard, 2017, there was a, a longitudinal study coming out of Harvard. It's a famous TED Talk. But they basically looked at for uh, indicators about happiness and health. And they found something they weren't expecting, that, that these, these men, there were only about 19 left above the age of 90, they, but, but they did this longitudinal study over 60 years, and they found that the most important thing for health uh, in people is relationships, deep relationships. That at the age of 50, if someone had meaningful, deep relationships at the age of 50, that was a better indicator for their health at 80 than their cholesterol. And they found that actually exercise and diet actually are less important than deep, meaningful relationships. Just meet Italian people. Italians are smoking and drinking and eating 90% saturated fat, but they don't die, right? They're, they're just, they're 95 and yeah, 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 because they, because they, they sit on the porch with their grandkids and they're like, Hey, it's my uncle. You know, it's my, they have this family relationship and there's more research on that. Right. But, but this is idea of community really deeply matters to us, but yet it evades us in our culture. It's hard to find. We're trying to find it. We're trying to find it every which way I joined a, when I was in college, something where people looked for a community, I joined a fraternity. And I remember I was one of the few that joined the fraternity. Um, 
coming from a pretty strong Christian family. But it was amazing because they, what I saw is men deeply striving to get this connection. I remember them telling us the first week, men, look around this room. These will be the, your best friends. And I was like, do I have a choice in that? Like, um, I guess we're best friends now. But then like, all right, look around the room, your best friends. Now, these are going to be the men at your wedding. These are going to be the men carrying, you know, uh, your casket at your funeral. And so I said, okay, maybe, okay, maybe that is, maybe these will be my best friends. But then night after night, you guys, you know, cheating with another guy's girlfriend, getting drunk, taking advantage of each other. I was like, it doesn't seem like we're friends. Um, and then even in moments, like there, it was, it's like you, you try really hard to get this thing. And anybody who's a leader in any way in the world knows this is true, that anytime you try to lead people, you're really just trying to get them not to hate each other. That's really the best you can do, not to fight. But there's constant fighting, constant issues. And so what we do is we try to do that one word that we all love that doesn't really mean anything is tolerate. Let's just tolerate each other. This is a made up word, uh, post enlightenment made up word, because one of the things that our world says is tolerate, which means that if you think you have if you think you have truth, you're a danger. You're dangerous if you think you have the one way to salvation. Therefore, toleration, everyone's right. But by saying that, you're taking a stance. By saying that, you're preaching a gospel. You're, making, you're now forcing me to not preach my gospel because we have to listen to now your gospel. So you're saying I'm wrong and I have to, I have to know that you're wrong. And so toleration is just another gospel, but it really is, and it doesn't really work. You know, it, it, we, we still, people cling to community for all sorts of reasons, right? What country you're from, what accent you have, right? Your class, uh, any number of things. You're, for me, it was that fraternity, right? Of guys, okay, let's, the social, you know, fraternity of mostly engineers, but guys trying to get into, into the business world through networking and connections. This is going to help me network. It's going to bring, bring me friendship. But there's something that they just, that you can't get because there's, there's no really shared values, and so, therefore, what we're going to look at is what is Christ's goal for us as a community and what are the values that Christ wants us to have? Uh, and this is, this is plain. It's apparent. It's something that, you know, even uh, without going into great detail, a lot of you know, uh, UVA recently built a multicultural room. And there's already been some struggles with to whom, who can go to the multicultural room? Who does it belong to? Does it belong to one group more than another? It is supposed to be a safe space. For, for people of color, but, you know, UVA is 90% white, so can they go? Can they not go? And there's already been, like, some issues, some struggles of who goes there, who belongs there, which, which group gets this space? And it's easy, I think, even too, especially something that can be lost on many of us, and me included, when you're part of a majority culture, you forget how, as a minority culture, that that can feel when you don't have a place to go. But as Christians, we can all congratulate each other is that we are all part of that minority culture to, as Christians, <laughs> that we do feel the majority of the secular world pressing down on us most days. And so let's look at what those values, in fact, are, because the church in Ephesus had a great problem before them. They were trying to bring together two groups that hated each other. And I'm not talking about, you know, just segregation. That was the least. It was murder. It was killing. It was people knew other people who had killed Jews because they were Jews or Gentiles because they were Gentiles. Trying to now worship with those people is a, is a very difficult thing, but one at which Paul, writing from prison, begins with his, you know, his uh, parchment there and his, uh, his pen to try to help a church figure out who are they. 
And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, we'll continue with this very idea. For this very reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for, uh, to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom the manifold means multi-colorful, multi-racial, multi-national. Maybe we call it multicultural. Multi, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Last week, we talked about what it is to, to really be a community, uh, but we didn't really talk about uh, each other yet. We just talked about all of us and our connection to God, because all of us bring into the community a, um, a sense of who we are. And perhaps you are somebody who's been treated a certain way by the world. Maybe you've been pulled over, right, for the color of your skin, or you've been treated a certain way because of your gender, or you've been treated a certain way because you're poor, or you've been treated a certain way because of any number of things. You bring that in and it's easy to kind of tell yourself that's who you are, or at least think that that's how people see you. But humility, honesty, openness begins with trusting God and others with who we really are. And so last time we talked about trusting God with us. Today, we're going to talk about trusting others with us. Trusting others with us. Um, community is, is, is difficult and almost impossible in the world, it seems. Um, you just try to help each other, uh, help people try to coexist, right? Just tolerate, coexist. Just try to play nice for a while is the best case scenario for a lot of community. Um, but and two things can happen. Usually we can either pull back, we can either isolate and kind of do an us versus them mentality. But it doesn't really last. We deeply crave relationships. Um, and there's a great story of a, a dad who, who brought out his son to the porch. And he said, son, and the porch is about three feet off the ground. And the dad said to his son, Zach, he said, son, I want you to jump into my arms. And the son said, okay, dad, but you're going to catch me. He's a little boy. And his dad said, yes, 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 come on. Go ahead and jump. So the boy gets excited. He's a little nervous because it's, you know, kind of a fall. But he's also like, all right, I'm going to jump. Dad says, he'll catch me. Jumps. Dad lets him fall. Kid falls on the ground. Dad says, let that be a lesson. Never trust anyone. Now, that sounds rough, but that is a lot of times... What the, the philosophy of life that many of us have. Never trust anyone. And then we go to a place, a church of people. And the difficult thing about church, one author put it, is that we are not natural friends. 
Uh, we are actually natural enemies. Uh, we are not connected by really anything in this room. We're not, we're not, we're not fast friends, many of us, right? Uh, there's really no reason, right, that perhaps outside of the church that, you know, maybe Tom Gaines and I would be able to be friends. I know nothing about planes, right, or Germany, uh, which I think Tom might say, hey, move along, buster, you know, but, but no, but Tom and I are friends, and that might be like, how is that possible? But we are natural enemies in the church, so we have to realize that we're starting off at kind of this place of, if we come in with not trusting each other, and then we come in with, we're not naturally necessarily going to overlap in terms of hobbies, how in the world are we going to be able to be unified? How can Gentiles and Jews actually get along? It seems impossible. But the, the, the challenge for many of us is, and I have three quick challenges. And the first one is to trust. You know, many of us struggle with trust um, for different reasons. Uh, one of the things I think, if I, if I just quoted a scripture real quick, um, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. How do you feel when you hear that? Many of us feel by your love for one another. Okay, yeah, I need to love more. And in a lot of ways, many of us, have, we love in a great number of ways. But year after year, you hear story after story about so many great people, pastors, church leaders, CEOs of nonprofits, right? There's these scandalous stories about how they've fallen out of favor. They've, they've, been, they've, had, they've carried on, right, with an illicit relationship or they've been stealing money or they have this hidden life. And you go, how? That person, they're a great preacher. They're a great leader. How did they have this hidden life? Because they loved other people, but they never allowed themselves to be loved. You need help? I'll help you. I don't ever need help, though. I'm fine. I can help you. And so we serve, 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 love, 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 but we don't actually let the love in. And there's a rule, right? There's a rule of communication that the degree to which you trust someone is the amount of love you can feel, no matter how much they try and love you. Which means someone could be serving you day in and day out, loving you intensely. But if you do not trust them, you will not feel loved. So which means you could go to a perfect church where 99 people are loving you, but you could still not feel loved. And you could still not feel safe. You could still not heal. And you could still not grow. And a lot of times, that's what we have in church. Just places we go, but we don't really trust people and we don't really see growth, and we just, we, we, we either, at best case scenario, we're just spiritually immature for year after year after year after year. Because we don't let people in. And I gotta say, this is really tough for me. It really is tough for me, right, to let somebody in because it's vulnerable. Uh, something happened to me this past week, and I thought, man, I should confess that. But I thought, no, that's embarrassing. What will somebody say? And then I'm, I'm preaching this lesson, by the way. So then I was like, Wait, why will I not confess it? Because it's embarrassing. Why is it embarrassing? Because someone might judge me or think I'm stupid or dumb. Why would they think that about me? Oh, they'd probably think that about me because I'm the church leader and I should know better. If I should, so that's basically, it's not really about them. It's what I'm telling myself. So my issue with not confessing is not anything to do with you guys. It's me. It's I think that following Jesus is doing X amount of good things and then I'm accepted. So then I, I project that onto you guys. So I won't confess, not because, oh, you're judge, judgmental. No, you're not, right? I just think that, oh, that, that, I should know better. I should do better. I shouldn't be late. I should be more pure. I should be more kind. I shouldn't be that sarcastic. I got to do, I shouldn't, I know, I know, I know. And so I get guilty and shameful and embarrassed. And I don't trust and I pull back. 
It's amazing how if we do not trust, we will not actually grow. We cannot grow unless we let people in. And that's difficult. That's difficult for many of us. You know, number one is trust. The other difficult thing is that we can be, I think, self-centered. We can be so focused on ourselves uh, that we don't actually see what other people need. And that goes back to the non-trust thing, I think. I think all these things are, are overlaid. And we can, we can look to the church and kind of look to the church to, to fill our needs, right? To fix things that we want, we desire. Things that we naturally want will allow the church to do. But if, it's not, if it doesn't enter into the orbit of self, then I'd, I'd rather not. At the end of the day, I still got to take care of myself. What the dad was teaching his son, right? Don't trust, take care of yourself. And a lot of us kind of are taught that, if not by our parents and from the world. And so we just get in a pattern of not trusting and focusing on number one, but we never feel loved and we never heal and we never grow. And the last thing is, is moralism. If you don't know what moralism is, it's basically, uh, it was Christianity from 1960 to about 2001. No, but it's, it's modernism in general, not just Christianity, but modernism in general in our country was from that time, right? It's this idea of be a good person, do good stuff. And then you'll be, you'll be good. I do good stuff, therefore I'm good. This is how we actually talk about our week, usually with God, right? I had a quiet time. How are you doing spiritually? I'm doing good. I went to church. I went to midweek. I went, I'm doing good. I'm doing good things. Therefore, I must be accepted. We rarely say, how are you doing with you, in your relationship with God? Good. I, I've been able to really know what, he, what God thinks about me. You know, that's rarely what happens. So, and this is where it does get nasty with each other sometimes, is if I confess to Andrew and, Andrew's, and Andrew gives me a look. Maybe it's just a look of like, you're doing that again? Yes. Now I'm like, oh, see, shouldn't have been open. Shouldn't have opened up my life. I knew it. I knew it, Andrew. You know, if he, or if he, doesn't even, if he even says like, hey, man, you, you can't do that. Like that's, and I've had people tell me that before. Like, you're the church leader. That's, you can't do that. Kind of reinforce this moralism within me. Like, what about me is different than a normal person? Like, I, I mess up. I'm not perfect. I have to confess. And about two years ago, I hit a wall. I was dying. I was dying. And I got together with these guys, other church leaders, and they said, who do you confess to? I said, no one. They said, you need to repent today. You need to get somebody today and go confess. You are carrying way too much. You feel stressed. You're doing everything for everyone else, but you will not get help. He said, tell a brother in the church, say, brother, is it okay if I confess? And is it okay if you listen? I would love your thoughts, love your feedback, but can I share with you some nasty stuff? And that brother said, come on, let's do it. And it helped me so much just to say, and he would, he would hear it, he would hear it, and he would hear it. He would go, amen, God loves you, man. And I was like, no, but did you hear what I said, though? It's pretty bad. He's like, amen, like that, that's pretty normal. I remember being there myself. Um, but, you know, God loves you, and hey, how can I help? And I was like, no, but you don't get it. You're supposed to yell at me. You're supposed to slap me. You're supposed to say, Drew, no, you're a church leader. This is beneath you. But he didn't. He simply reminded me of what God thinks about me. You know what that's called? Grace. And I think sometimes we don't reinforce grace enough. We reinforce performance. Then we all get into, we have a community built on performance and what we're doing instead of grace. Now the fear with that, because deep, deep within me, there's a little guy, and he's going, no, don't talk about grace so much because then people will sin too much. They'll just sin up a storm if we don't come down on them, right? The beatings will continue until morale improves, right? That's the, the idea. 
That could be insecurity of, oh, if we don't just whack them all with sin, stop it, da-da-da, then maybe, maybe they'll just keep on sinning so that grace may increase. But I think sometimes we don't see or understand the power of what true grace is. Yeah. Um, we struggle to trust. We may even serve other people. In fact, I think many of us, we do a good job of when there's a need, we jump to it. I'll serve. Can I help you, brother? No, I'm, I'm fine. I'll help. Can I help you? No, I'm good. And I think we lie to ourselves. Don't worry about being codependent or being like, oh, I need, oh, I don't. That's all worldly satanic garbage. Don't help me. No, 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 I don't, I don't want to look weak or I don't need a, I don't, I'm going to stand on my own two feet, pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm going to be a self-made man. Ain't nobody a self-made man. But this idea, that will kill you. It is so sad to read these biographies of self-made men. They're all depressed at the end of their life. Read the last chapter of those biographies. All these things that they did, and they just sacrificed friendships along the way. And they die. The world either turns on them, and they're a villain, or they die alone. No, thank you, right? We deeply crave these relationships. We have to learn to open up that heart, get get the crowbar if you have to, jam that thing open. Open up your heart to somebody else. I'm not saying everybody else. Pick one person and say, I need to be honest about how I'm doing. Even if that honesty is, I don't know how I'm doing. I feel numb. I feel apathetic. And I feel like I've missed Devo for three months. And honestly, I don't care. Please help me, sister. I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be willing. That right there is a great start. Just open up that thing. Do you know what people want in community? They want really talented, charismatic people and a wonderful performance with a smoke machine. No, they don't. They want authenticity. Authenticity. People walk in that door. Honestly, we could probably struggle with most things, but if we are authentic and real and humble, taking the first step in openness and not being stressed out about what somebody else is saying, but actually listening and then being open, open about how we're doing. Right? That actions speak louder than words. This sermon means nothing if it doesn't match in action what we're doing as a church. Which means when you walk in, this is where it gets difficult, right? Kids are crazy, right? You're half an hour late already for, for midweek or for church. You're running late. You got a stain on your shirt. Everything is just going wrong. You're like, you know what? Let's just punt on this thing. Let's just not even go. It's in that moment where you go, hold on, 20 minutes of church is better than nothing. But people are going to say that I'm late and judge me. No, I know what God thinks about me. I know God loves me. And I'd love to just give to people for 10 minutes. And if they ask me if I'm late, I say, you're right. It's a crazy day. I need help. It's a a rough day. Please pray for me. Showing up for 10 minutes is better than nothing. I need that time. And hopefully I can encourage somebody while I'm there. Oh, you know how much that changes midweek? Somebody walks in like, oh, just, you know, just the humility People, that humility, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Are we a humble church? Because you can have everything. You can make every correct, right, accurate, efficient, data-driven decision. If it is in pride, then God opposes it. How many empires have fallen at the feet of God because who cares if they're prideful? God will bring them down. Our God died on a cross. He was born in a manger, which is basically an empty barn in a feeding trough, still with food stuck on it, 
Jesus is born in there, raised by a single mom, works a blue-collar job, befriends 12 other construction worker types who really don't have two pennies to rub together. They come together. He befriends them despite their inevitable lapses in judgment and really uh, just let's call it stupidity. He brings them in. He befriends prostitutes, right, and people that are sexually illicit and, and stealers and tax collectors and thieves and robbers and zealots and revolutionaries. He brings these people along and says, we're going to change the world. And they go, how? I have my sword ready. And he goes, smack. (laughs) We're going to change the world because we are going to deny ourselves and carry our cross daily. And they go, come again. What do you mean carry our cross daily? Yeah, they're right. They will kill us because we're revolutionaries. We're going to turn over Rome. Jesus goes, you're right. We are, but not the way you think. We're going to live such humble lives and not write down a single word that people will be so amazed that they will be shaken out of their self-centeredness and realize the only true way to live is for God and for others. Jesus Christ came down. You know what his message was? Humility. When the guys were crucifying him, he didn't say, I know all your sin, and if you repent, then I'll forgive you. He says, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He doesn't rub it in Peter's face when Peter denies him three times and Jesus is risen from the dead. He doesn't say, I know you did it, Peter. He says, Peter, we've got a job to do. Feed my lambs. Jesus is, Jesus is bringing one simple message. Humility. Humility, humility, humility. And C.S. Lewis says it is the greatest, pride is the greatest of all sins because the world doesn't just not hate it. They love it. You walk out the door and your teacher will say, you did this all by yourself. Good girl. And your boss will say, you are better than everyone else. You're a hard worker. You've beat them in competition. Everything is a competition out there. If I can win, if I can beat somebody, if I can get a leg up, better resume, better job, better, better mom, better dad, better friend, the world will stroke your pride. It is the most dangerous of all sins. And so we, we, hopefully we can wake up to the reality that humility is where it begins. And hopefully that encourages you because a gospel of humility is way easier than a gospel of moralism. Have your quiet times. Check the boxes. No. Let's be honest about where we are. The humble man has nothing to fear. Many of us, though we are alone, we're kind of like a single thread. We're delicate. A little bit of gust. We just fly away. And in isolation, we are not much. Okay. But the the beautiful thing about threads is when they're brought together with other threads and especially different threads, They come together, they rely on each other, and if enough threads come together and actually are interwoven, they become very strong and many times very beautiful. Paul says here, through the church, the church will express the manifold wisdom of God, the multifolded, the multicolorful, the multiracial, the multi-ethnical, the the multi-language speaking, right? It'll come together in this beautiful tapestry. And when colors that are different are together, you know, contrast, right? If you have all, all just red, it's kind of, we have a word for that, monotone and boring. But if you have different colors, not isolated, but working together, then you'll actually be able to see how beautiful and incredible God's plan is. Is it not difficult? No, you bet it's difficult. But it is only in, in community that we will experience true connection, which means that you'll have to forgive. There are people, in the, I'm kind of a type A, I'm kind of loud. Often at parties, I, I talk a lot or ga- gatherings of times. I talk too much. And then Jenny squeezes my knee. And that is wife speak for, please stop. Um, 
And I would love it, by the way, if I just talked the whole time. I could just listen to myself, which I've um, often enjoyed. But there are other people like that, right? And there are other people who are, who if I get in the same room with, we kind of, we kind of, it's kind of similar, we kind of clash. There are other people who are kind of quiet, who I can stomp out. There's all these different uh, dynamics. And the goal is that we actually, we reconcile, we come together, we have those difficult decisions. And instead of finding a brother, well, I don't talk to that brother because he just never listens and cuts me off, so I avoid him. I don't talk to that sister because she just talks, talks, talks and never lets me finish. I don't talk to that guy because he just doesn't really get my life stage. I don't talk to that person because I know that they're pretty liberal and I'm pretty conservative, so I just don't go there. We cannot do that. Just isolate, isolate, isolate. We've got to come together and have discussions. But you know the power, you actually can have hard discussions if you're humble. Tim Keller says when we're prideful, it's like a balloon. We get puffed up in pride. And, then we, and then the, bigger, the more a balloon uh, is puffed, the more easier it is to pop. So if I'm really prideful and someone says, hey, Drew, uh, something political. Rah! Politics and all Democrats, all liberals, all independents, are, they're the problem. Or someone brings up an issue about race. You know what? That other race is the problem. Or someone brings up something about class. That class is the problem. You know what? That other church is the problem. You know, my wife is the problem. And we just blame and we blame and we blame and we never take ownership. Right? We never own. There's a great uh, Navy SEAL, Jocko. A lot of you guys have heard of him. But he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. And he said that he had to start in his he had, in his. Uh, core, his group, right, of SEALs. He didn't see change in his group until he started taking responsibility for everything. And guys were asking him, hey, sir, whose fault was that? And he would say, it's mine. And, they would say, and he noticed that when he started owning everything, they started emulating that. They started going, yeah, yeah, I could have done better too, actually. I, I could have actually got this, this position in, in a better spot. He didn't make them do it. He didn't blame them. He said, no, it's, this one's on me. I got to be a better leader. And he actually saw the culture of his entire core change because simply owning something. Hey man, I could be wrong. Hey man, I don't know all the answers. I tend to, you know, appreciate this perspective when it comes to that topic, but I could see where you're coming from and I have no idea what it's like to be in your shoes, but Hey, you know, amen. Praise God that we have Jesus, right? I mean, we don't have to agree on everything. We're going to be different. Please don't all be the same. That would be very boring and, and sad. But we can actually, as we come together, I believe that you'll have aha moments. Like when, almost if you're weaving a tapestry and you zoom out, you go, oh my gosh. I thought that that brother was so difficult. Now he's my best friend. We've had four reconciliation talks. Oh, I hated all of them. But man, that guy, he's got my back. He would lie down in traffic for me. How did it come here? This is, look at the beautiful, manifold wisdom of God. Look what he's done. Man, that sister, when I first met her, my goodness, we didn't, how in the world? She's from New York and I'm from, right, I don't know, somewhere that's not New York. And now we're, what in the world? It's my best friend. People sometimes ask me, who are my closest friends here in Blue Ridge? Most of them are 20 years my senior. Older than me. Sorry about, sorry about using the word senior. But a lot of people are like, how is your, I've actually been at, at coffee shops with, with certain guys in the church. People are looking at me like, how do you know him? Like, oh, we're friends. And they go, cool, you know, but I, I challenge you, go to a coffee shop and see people of different ages or different races or di- sitting together and talking and laughing because this is my friend yeah. or even a brother and sister. That was something in the singles we had to learn was great relationships and friendships between brothers and sisters that were holy and pure in a righteous way. This is my friend. And I've got her back. She's my sister in Christ. 
I'm going to get coffee and I'm going to take care of her. And so I got her back here. All right. And so there's, there's actually something beautiful there because that's the awesome thing about when we focus on really making sure that we're humble, you will not actually have to worry about evangelism. You will not actually have to worry about it because people will simply see. And not that you have to, I'm not saying never share your faith. I'm simply saying you never have to worry about it. When we are humble, it's amazing how people are attracted to humility because humility is authenticity. I want to close out with this final thought in the, in the verse there. I love that it says in verse 11, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. It is only through Jesus that we're able to approach God. It is only because Jesus lowered himself and died on a cross that we have access to the perfect, beautiful, immaculate Lord. The only way we have is through Jesus, in him, through your ability to perform. No, praise God. Through faith. You know what faith means? Not belief. Get that out of here. No belief. No. Faith means trust. Pistis in Greek means trust. In fact, in the literal Greek, these are all different synonyms for the word trust. In him, through trust, we may approach God with trust and trust. They're just different variations on the same idea of trust. Now, trust brings freedom. That's why it's translated there. Trust also brings confidence. When you, the idea of relying on somebody, which means when you come to church and there's only five minutes left in service and you're coming in and you're a mess, your kids are a mess, your marriage is a mess, there's a stand on your shirt, even if you're late, even if you struggled, even if you only can have a few more minutes of prayer in the morning because you, I just, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good person. I'll, I'll never make it. You can approach God in humility because you're doing it by relying on him. It does, you don't need your own resume to approach God. You need his resume. You need his ability to do this. And it's simply when we forget who we are in Christ, we start thinking of who we are in ourselves. And that is a nasty, scary, sad, rough place. And we all need to open up to that. And amazing. Can you imagine what it would be like if we all simply truly trusted, relied, had confidence in what God thought of us? You could leave the house, hold your head up high, and even if you're a single mom and your heart is prodded to share your faith with a married couple, and you're insecure because you're a single mom, you go, I don't know, I don't, I'm not married, and I went through a divorce, how can I have any confidence to share my faith with this married couple? Oh, my confidence is not in me, it's in Jesus. Oh, wow, oh, yeah, I can do this. Okay, oh, what I'm sharing with them is not me, I'm sharing Jesus. Okay, yeah, I can do this. Or I'm a single and I share my faith with a married couple. Or I'm married and I can share my faith with a single couple. Or I'm, I'm older than this person or younger. Or None of those things matter. We have a shared value system in Christ. And amazingly, Jesus mostly had really one thing. Deny yourself, right? Carry your cross, lower yourself. Everything Jesus said was about humility. That is the shared value system. And we won't, and by the way, I think the world will see that we are different than, than them. Because the world's groups don't know how to treat other groups. They don't know how because they tell themselves, oh, everyone's right. But in their heart, they know that it's not right. So they tell another group they're wrong. The other group thinks, you can't tell us we're wrong because everyone's right. And they go, no, but this isn't right. And they go, no, but everything's right. And they go, and hold on, but no, but we're right. But no, everything's right. You see the problem? This is a stressful, anxious time. But you're playing with that deck of cards. But you know what Jesus said about our enemies, what we should do to them? Tolerate them. No. 
He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know who should actually treat their enemies the best? People who disagree with them is Christians. That's where we should be excelling. That's where the world should be going, man. They see see people different than them and they still love them. They pray for them. That is crazy. They have them over for dinner. It's amazing. This is the kind of community that Jesus came down to earth and died for. And this is what the Jews and Gentiles are struggling to grasp there in, in Ephesus. And as the Gentiles sit there and are nervous because they go, but hold on, I don't, I'm not good enough. And the Jews are like, hold on, they're not good enough. You know, they, the, the passage says, we have confidence, we have trust, we have faith in him. Guys, come on, in him. God didn't bring the Israelites out of Egypt after he said, hey, can you guys guarantee you'll follow the law? He brought the Israelites out and then gave them the law. Acts 2, repent and be baptized. Jesus didn't say, hey, can you repent and be baptized first and then I'll die for you? Um, That way I can get some kind of guarantee here. No, Jesus dies first. And then he says, repent and be baptized. God is constantly the first to show love. God is constantly the first to open up. God is constantly the first to trust you even though you have let him down. Surely we can do the same and know that we open up our hearts, open up our hearts to be able to have those communities. And then we'll have a new study that Harvard will do in 100 years. And they'll go, man, these Christians are not dying. They're all living to 120. They have great community, great friendships, great connections. And they'll go, what is it that they have? We love because he first loved us. Let's remember that this morning. And as we strive to follow this this grace-centered community and be the manifold wisdom of God, the multicultural tapestry of God, Let's remember that we won't actually have to worry about sin. In the same way that alcoholics go to AA to stop drinking, Christians go to church to stop being self-centered. We are here because we are striving after being humble and being open and pursuing God and pursuing righteousness. You won't actually have to worry about that as much. When someone's humble, it is so easy to disciple them. You don't even really have to. They kind of disciple themselves. They let the Bible disciple themselves. But as we are a community of people with shared values, we can value humility, grace, and trust. We are natural enemies, but these natural enemies can trust each other in this way. And the mission can not help but be brought into the living rooms and coffee shops of Charlottesville and beyond. It is through this community that God's mission to save the lost and help the poor will be revealed. So I want to encourage you this morning. Have you shut off your heart to some, someone? When's the last time you confessed? And I'm just saying confess, like just be open. When's the last time you said, hey, I need 10 minutes. I just need to talk. Is it okay if you listen while I talk? I just, I'm not feeling great. I imagine most people will say, come on, sister, give me a call. I'll listen. I'll just listen. When's the last time we did that? I want to encourage us this morning. Let's be humble like Christ was. Uh, And as we sing this last song, hallelujah, uh, to sing with all of our hearts, knowing that it is not in our resume. It is in him that we have boldness and confidence in Christ. Amen and to God be the glory.